Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hey, good morning, Attorney Vince Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where they can get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and take back our rights for our children. Good morning. Today's show, we're going to be talking about a number of issues in the juvenile dependency process. Um, I've gotten a lot of uh, requests to also talk about uh, suing social workers. As most of you know, um, our firm does both. We go to juvenile dependency court. We fight to get your child back to you or back to a family member. And we also sue social workers, and in, in generally in the U.S. district courts, which are federal courts uh, in our country. I know there are a lot of uh, law practitioners and lawyers that do one or the other. There aren't very many that do both. Now, before I do that, um, I'm going to take a few calls because we have a lot of people uh, in the queue. So the first call I'm going to take is from... Hold on. Is from area code six two six, ending in four zero. Good morning. Hi. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I have a story to tell. <clears throat> Go for it. Yes. Um. Well. Children's Services are accusing me of failing to protect my daughters because of an incident when I pulled, you know, my husband's mistress hair while I held my daughter. So CPS are accusing me of different incidents, even though my children were not present because I failed to report the cops the same. But I, I gave awareness to my old social worker, but the incident about the incidents where it would not have come back to me. But now chil- the, my children have been detained from me, and I feel wrongly accused with their false accusations, thinking that I failed to protect the children in some way. So CPS are making me look like the criminal and the worst of the worst. So they're having no mercy nor sympathy towards the family, to, towards my family or my children. And I'm currently seven months pregnant, and I cried when the CPS worker notified me that she was going to remove my children from me. What did she say while I, while I cried? relax because you have a baby inside of you. I said, how do you expect me to relax after you just gave me horrible news that you're detaining my children from me? How can I relax? That's causing me stress, you know, worries, financial financial troubles now. So CPS workers have no mercy when I found out that the CPS wants to take my case to Superior Court. And so I realized that I have to get a lawyer and fast. So my sister helped me out. She searched up uh, about the CPS, and she directed me to you guys, to Vincent W. Davis, uh, an associate's law firm. So I called, and Hubert Johnson assisted me and provided me with, with the knowledge about the CPS plans and how, how what's their plan when they remove children. So their plan is to remove my children permanently. 
and uh, Mr. Johnson assured me that I need a lawyer to fight for me and my daughters. So I was blessed to have talked to him because he gave me the the correct information. So so that way I can also move back home because I had to move out so my children can move with my parents. So now I have some hope and, you know, thinking that, you know, some peace that they won't remove the baby that I'm expecting soon. Well, thank you for that story. I appreciate it. Um, if you ever have any problems or questions, I want you to write this telephone number down and I want you to contact me directly, okay? Okay. It's area code 310-308-7758. That's my personal mobile number. You can call or text me anytime uh, that you have a problem, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Maybe fine. Okay, the next call I'm going to take is from area code 661, ending in 4-3. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Well, I have both. Hello? Yes, Hello. Go for it. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, um, the story I'm telling is that um, my kids were taken away. Uh, it's been a while, the, since 2006. Um, my daughter was placed in a home where um, she was sexually molested. And maybe this is ongoing. I don't know how long it was, how long it's been. But they barely removed her. After 11 years, they barely removed my daughter. Now, in the meantime, my other daughter was placed with her for a brief period of time. And now my other daughter has now since committed, tried to commit suicide, cut her wrist three different times, and has been placed in um, a San Bernardino girls' home for troubled kids and um, medication kids, stuff like that. Um, this is just what the department's done to me and my children. But, you know, I'm not worried about me, but I'm worried about my kids because they're still in their care. And how do I go about stopping this? How do I go about helping my kids when they're supposed to be protected right now and they're being abused? Okay. All right. So let me tell you how to do that. First of all, have we have we ever met and talked before? Because I, I've heard this story or a similar story before. No, I've never met you before. I never I just Googled it yesterday. I was you know, I heard my daughter was shouting out in a way crying out and I googled it and you guys came up and I talked to your assistant and she told me to do this this morning she had told me that this could help me to ask you live what I could do because I don't know that I was allowed to go and press charges formally against the person who did this or I didn't know none of these things I had no idea what to do I still don't okay let me tell you that you are and the things that you need to do are quite uh, extensive do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Um, yes, I am good. Okay. Okay, you ready? go ahead. Yeah. Number one, number one, you have to, I would like you to meet with me. And okay. Sunday, excuse me, Monday is a holiday. So I will be in right. my office Monday. I want you to call okay. this number and make an appointment to come see me Monday. 
Okay, got it. The second thing that I want you to do, the second thing I want you to do is I want you to gather up uh-huh. all the paperwork that you that you have okay. regarding your case. Okay. okay. Bring that with on mon- on Monday. Okay. Num- number three, and this is going to be a little bit of a homework assignment for you. I want you to set at a computer okay. and type out and uh-huh. type out a story of what has happened to you and your children. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you okay. since you've been involved with CPS. Mhm. And I want you to email it to me Sunday night. Okay. I'm going to give you my email address. Are you ready? Yes. It's v. Davis. Uh huh. At Vincent W. Davis. Dot com. So it's v. Okay. Davis. At VincentWDavis.com. Okay. All right, so go ahead and type that up to me Friday night. Excuse me, Sunday night. Okay. And I look forward to meeting you on Sunday. And it's, this is a free consultation, and I'll tell you everything that okay. you need to do. Okay, All right? thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for calling. The next call that I'm going to take is from area code 909, ending in 35. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, hello? Hello. Can you hear me? Good morning. You're on the air, sir. Hello. How are you Do you doing? have a story to tell or a question doing? to ask? Um... I guess a little of both. Uh, I have a story about CPS. Uh, it's kind of unique. Um, just recently, I was notified that I had a two-year-old daughter, and uh, you know, I went through the process of you know getting a DNA, and since then they set me up with visitations, and they want me to. They had me enrolled in parenting classes and random drug testing, and which is okay. You know, I don't have a, a real issue with that. But, you know, I also, you know, have a full-time job where I work, you know, five days a week, sometimes 10-hour days. And on top of that, I have other children that, you know, I take care of, you know, me and their mother. So there's times where I have to do one thing, she has to do one thing, and 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 the the, the request that CPS asks of me sometimes, you know, are kind of hard for me to 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 get to. So um, I explained this to my lawyer, and she came up with an option that maybe I could use my mother as um, the guardian. And really, what my question was was would would it be better for me to just try to maybe work around what CPS is uh, asking me to do, or should I just go ahead and, and, you know, maybe let my mother go ahead and step in? Because she would be able to, I guess, fulfill whatever, you know, 
request they would they would want to to have done. And you know, I, I was just kind of wondering which way should I go with that. But then I also understand that you know, if she if she does it, you know, that I'm assuming that process is going to start over. And this process has been going on for a while. The, the kid has been in CPS custody for 18 months, and I just became aware of the situation in April. So I'm pretty far behind. But you know, my main focus is I want to get my daughter out and have her return to, you know, a, a loving and safe family so she can, you know, grow up and have a good chance of being successful in life, you know? I understand what you're saying. So let me give you the answer based upon the information you've given me this morning. The answer is both. You should work towards getting your child back and your mother should work towards getting your child back. If the child is in CPS custody right now in a foster home, what you should do is direct your attorney to file a 388 petition to have the child immediately placed with you. I'm saying that because you told me that you have other children that you take care of. If you have children in your custody, I find it almost impossible for a social worker to keep another child away from you. You can't be a danger to one child and not to other children. Secondly, the law requires children to be placed in uh, relative homes where available. Now, you've told me that you have a mother that could take this child. So there must be some reason, and it could be financial, that the social worker hasn't placed the child with your mother. So I want your mother to file a 388 petition to also have the child placed with you, excuse me, placed with her, and any other relative that wants the child, or family friend, doesn't have to be a relative, can also file the same 388. And also, I almost forgot, the relatives should, and family friends should also file what's called a JV285, JV285. These forms, the 388 form and the JV285, uh, can be easily found by Googling um, and finding the form. You'll find a fillable form. I just received a text message that um, from my uh, one of my producers that we be he believes that those forms can be found on my website, uh, talkradioexperts.com website, and you might be able to download it from there. Um, I didn't know that, but you can definitely find it by Googling the information. Uh, but it's important for you to move fast. If you just found out in April that you had this child, um, there's a lot of things that should have been done. I don't, you know, depending on the allegations against you, um, I don't know if they could have proven a case against you or if they could have taken the child away from you. Uh, you know, legally if you had enforced your legal rights, but apparently it has been done and the child's not living with you. So if the judge has ordered you to do certain counseling or what they call reunification services like parenting, drug counseling, drug testing, you should definitely do that if um, that's the only way you can get back in the ballpark. Um, there may be a chance that those who have, were ordered against you improperly you may, might be able to go back and file a 388 to have those thrown out. Um, but there's a lot of things that you'd have to consider. 
I'd have to review the file as well to see to get more information that you may or may not have. But definitely, at the very least, you and your mother should be filing those 388s, and all family, friends, and relatives should be filing those JV-285s. Sir, I want to thank you for your call. If you want further information on this issue, please feel free to call my office, make an appointment, either phone or in person, to talk to me. It's an initial, free initial consultation. You can call 888-888-6582 today and make that appointment. But thank you for your call, sir. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Okay, I'm going to take another call. We are getting backed up with calls. The next call is from area code 323, ending in 9-0. Hello, hey, good morning. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I have both. Um, I have been going back and forth between Los Angeles County and San Bernardino County DCFS. I have been reporting the father for abuse. Um, it first started out with like belt marks, and just recently um, he returned my daughter home with a broken arm. And I have two daughters. One had a broken arm, and one had a bruise the size of a softball. Um, since I live in Pasadena, they kind of didn't want to take the case because it's a custody case out of Victorville, and um, they were more concerned about you know, who's going to have custody rather than protecting my children. Um, the forensic team did not even interview my children until like a month later, and the results came back inconclusive. Um, in order for me to have L.A. County open up a case or even pursue it, I literally had to keep my children against court order. I went on the run with my children. I left my home. I lost my job. I lost everything. I stayed in different shelters and, you know, hiding from the father with his court order um, to give them back. Because the judge kept saying to let him see the kids. And I'm telling the judge, well, he's abusing the children. Well, there's no open case. There's nothing there. Let him go. Let the kids go back with the father. And once I refused to let the children go back, awaiting for DCFS to properly investigate, the judge issued a warrant out for my arrest. Um, and literally, I was literally on the run for months protecting my girls. I emailed county supervisors, Camilla Harris, letting them know what was going on with my case. And finally, Pasadena opened a case against the father and did not notify me. They did not um, give me any notice that they were pursuing it in that manner. And um, I had no idea. They never even told the DA of San Bernardino that they were going to, in fact, charge the father. So San Bernardino never rescinded the warrant. They're still looking for me. Finally, I get a call from DCFS, and uh, I get in contact with them, and I'm in compliance with them. And he tells me that I'll notify San Bernardino County, try to get them to rescind the warrant, and uh, we can put your children in protective custody with a family member, you guys have to go to dependency court. And I said, fine, I'll, I'll do all of that. I was really upset that DCFS acted like they didn't know where I was. They knew I was in a DV shelter protecting my children. They knew I was keeping the children so that they could properly investigate. They knew these things, 
But instead, I believe just because of all my complaints about them to the state of California, to um, the county supervisor and so forth, that in direct retaliation, they have me in dependency court as well. And basically never told San Bernardino anything. And I was arrested. I was arrested recently and thrown in jail. Um, I was so far up north in Northern California, San Bernardino never even picked me up. They left me there in the county jail. I was released. I had to get my own family to send me money and a bus ticket to get me back to LA County. I immediately went and put myself on calendar. I still didn't know where my children were. The DA wasn't returning my calls and DCFS never protected my children. Uh, I just got a hold of them this week <laughs> and they're all on vacation. Um, they never do their jobs. They're telling me, oh, well, the, the kids are back with the father. Well, how do you send my children back to a father and you know he's abused them? You actually even have him on trial for that abuse, but you allowed San Bernardino to execute a warrant and you knew there was some foul play going on here. And I have a meeting with them on Tuesday. It's like they don't care. And it's like, do my children have to end up dead before these people do their jobs? How many times do I have to complain to the welfare buzzman's office or the state of California before these people do their job? So your children are with their father right now? Yes, they are. And is the DCFS case, was it filed in L.A. or in San Bernardino? It was filed in Los Angeles. And when was the last court date in that juvenile case, and when is the next court date? The last case was in August. Um, I wasn't aware of I did not attend. I was still in the BV shelter. Um, the next case is coming up October 11th, and I will be attending that one. Okay. Do you know what type of hearing it is on October 11th? A dependency hearing. They state that because we're going back and forth in court, they want to see if I'm even fit to raise my own children. Have you seen the petition that was filed against you and the father to start the juvenile no, dependency case? No, sir. Has I have anybody? not been able to get a hold of them. Do you know who your social worker is? Yes, I do. And do you know what courthouse and what courtroom you have to go to to get yes, your uh, to go to the hearing? Okay. So, did you know that if you took your ID, you could go to the court clerk's office in the Monterey Park courthouse uh, to get copies of your entire file? I attempted to do that um, the other day, but unfortunately, the court file was already sent to the courtroom, and the clerk told me I was unable to get copies. Um, she gave me a minute order. That was all she was able to uh, give me. And like I stated, the DCFS workers have been out. The ARA was out. Um, the, the person investigating was out, and the worker. They were all out this week, and it's it's this is what I'm dealing with. I, and when is your court date? October the 11th. Okay. Um, you can go to the courtroom or call the courtroom 
to arrange the time to go review the file on the 10th, which is the day before the hearing. What what department are you in on the 11th? The ARA just gave me the case number um, and so forth. He didn't tell me what room I was going to be in. He just said, uh, he just gave me the address. I haven't received any correspondence from that department at all. And that's another thing that irritates me is that they knew I was in a DV shelter. They weren't sending me any correspondence. They had my number. They had my email. And they've been doing all of this behind my back. And I've been missing court dates and had no idea uh, until I kept emailing the L.A. County supervisor. And finally, the ARA called me back. I've been calling for the ARA since May. And no one has been returning my calls. Even the emergency response uh, worker was not returning my calls. And then from May all the way up until August, I didn't receive any calls from them. And I was calling them and reporting them to the welfare busman's office about them not returning my calls. And finally, in August, um, I was able to get a hold of the new worker, and uh, he explained to me everything that was going on. And I stated to him, why haven't you guys called me? Or they knew I was in a DV shelter. They knew I was holding my children purposely for you guys to properly investigate. Because before, what they would do is, if the kids would go with the father, they would term, uh, transfer the case to San Bernardino, and then sometimes San Bernardino would drop the case, and I would have to call again and redo the whole process. And I didn't want that to happen, and that was the only reason why I kept my children with me, is so that Pasadena would properly investigate and pursue it um, effectively. And it took them months and took them uh, forever to even do that, and they never even notified me that they were placing a complaint against the father or he was going to dependency court. And now they tell me after the fact, oh, you've missed a court date. This is where you have to go. And this is coming from the ARA only. Uh, this is where you have to go. And they gave me a case number and that was it. And I still haven't received correspondence. And I've been out of, I've been released from jail for about a week and a half now. And yet they still have not called me. Uh, he said he was still sending correspondence to my home. They still have not done that. And that's why I went to the court with myself and tried to get in contact with them myself. And it's just, they're always out of the office or, um, you know, like I said, I went to the court office in Monterey Park and it was already in the courtroom. You know, one of my, um, either I or one of my attorneys will be in the building on the 9th, on October 9th. What I want you to do is I want you to arrange to meet with us at court on October 10th, excuse me, October 9th is a holiday. So on October 10th, the day before your court date, so that someone can read your file to you so you know what's going on in the case. Technically, the clerk was not supposed to tell you you can't get a copy of it because it's upstairs already. That's not the way it, the way the clerk's office is supposed to work because translated that was, hey, we're not going to go upstairs and pull the file and bring it down and give you a copy because we just don't have time to do that or don't want to do that. You have a right to get a copy of your file at any time. So what I will do is either I or one of my attorneys will go to the courtroom with you, ask to see the file and review it, 
and if they won't let you see it, we can at least tell you what the allegations are against you. As it turns out, you might have a huge lawsuit against, a civil rights lawsuit against uh, the county of Los Angeles and some social workers, but we can discuss that later after we you know, talk about how to get your children back to you as soon as possible. So what I want you to do is I want you to write down this telephone number, call it on Monday, or no, write down this telephone number, call it today after 9 a.m. and make an appointment to talk to me on Monday. Remind me that we talked on the show and that, that I or one of my attorneys is going to go down there on Tuesday to try to get your file so you can review it and be prepared for the court hearing on Wednesday the 11th. Does that sound like a plan for you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay, so write down this number. It's 888-888-6582. That's 888-888-6582. Call today, make the appointment, speak to me on Monday, and then we'll make arrangements to meet you in court on Tuesday just to pull your file because you're not going to be able to pull the file without you, without an attorney. So we're just going to pull the file, see what it says, and then you can be ready for court on Wednesday. Okay? Okay. Okay, thank you so much. All right. Thank thank you so much. Thank you for calling. I appreciate your call. Have a great day. Well, that was uh, kind of a complex case going on there. She um, getting the runaround. I, I think that the problem may be the two counties. She's in L.A. County. The father's in San Bernardino County. There's a Victorville uh, you know, family law case. You know, and a lot of times you have all these jurisdictional and venue issues. Um, Social workers are hesitant to get involved. And I get the impression, I don't know this for sure, but I get the impression it's because there's a lot more paperwork. So people don't get involved probably when they should get involved. Okay. We're at the halfway mark of the show this morning, and I want to the listeners about something new that I'm involved with. I kind of mentioned it last week, but I am uh, uh, want to talk about it again today. Um, I think it was July. I was in Harvard. I was at Harvard giving a speech promoting uh, my book, How to Fight CPS and Win. And as a result of that, I got asked to be on a television station uh, in Princeton. And I went on the station, talked about CPS, and, you know, as we might expect, New Jersey has the same problems with CPS as California and the rest of the country. So there was a, 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 I met a gentleman who happened to be a producer who had his own CPS case um, a couple of years ago. And he told me about this nightmare that he went through. He eventually got his children back. But to make a long story short, he asks me uh, to be part of a television show, an idea that he had thought of. And the working title of the show is the reality series, CPS, The Horror Stories. The reality series, CPS, The Horror Stories. And there is a Facebook uh, page uh, where hundreds and hundreds of people have contacted this television show and contacted us. Um, that there is an assistant producer 
assigned just to communicate with people who send Facebook messages and uh, you know post on the on on the web page. Purpose of this television show is threefold, just like this radio show. Number one, for people to come on the show and tell their story, their horror story with CPS. Number two, to organize people at a state and federal level to change laws, to vote for representatives who will make changes in the law. The third reason is to organize people to vote on a state and national level to vote in or vote out judges who are more pro-family. As luck would have it, the show has gotten off the ground with funding. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the first person, the first show is being taped later on today. I think it's scheduled from, I think, 2 to 6 o'clock. Uh, a guest has come in from out of town. We call the guest a star, the star of the show. And it's a mother who, who went through a terrible, terrible CPS case. Uh, almost unbelievable. Um, out of the hundreds of people that uh, the producers have talked to, she was picked to be the first guest or the first star on the show. And um, I'll give you more information about uh, how the show is going to air, when it's going to air, and that type of thing in the coming weeks. But I just wanted to allow or tell everyone um, about the show and to look forward to it. Uh, I know before it airs, they plan on airing part of it on the social media, on YouTube, and that type of thing. But the eventual plan is to get the sh get the show uh, syndicated so that it can be shown or shown on a national level. Anyway, I want to take the next call. It is area code five six two, ending in one seven. Good morning, Vincent. Good morning. Do you hear me, Vincent? Yes. Do you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. Do you have a story to tell or a question right. to ask? I have uh, two questions. Um, my case has been a tremendous uh, lengthy case. It's been going on for about two and a half years, and um, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's really been hard. We have three beautiful children, and because of economic uh, situation we're in, our kids were taken away needlessly and then on top of that not only does social services get involved they also get the um uh, the, the police department involved and they do duplicate things and so forth and um i um have a hearing a very important hearing coming up for one of my children we have one child back and uh he's uh, finally back uh, and things been really going good with uh with him this next child who at the age of nine was taken away. He's 12 now, and um, he's um, got a, a hearing coming up. And the question that me and my wife had with this hearing is that um, um, we don't know kind of like how it's going to go because they made a promise a year ago in November um, of 2016 that if my wife completed these 14 steps, he'd be home by Thanksgiving. Well, as you can see right now, it's a year later, and, uh, you know, he's not at a school of origin, and they have caregivers that refuse to take him to do things, and 
they keep adding stipulations and making stories up. And so uh, I was wondering how this hearing is going to go. I know no one knows what the outcome is, but we have a judge that's very, very biased. We've been trying to remove him. Um, and all these people, third-party people um, that are hired by social services, say they want to help, but when you put them up to be a witness or the help along, they say, oh, great, we want to have the children return. They um, back out because of that. So my question is, is how this hearing is going to go on the 12th? And then my second question is, is that um, um, I had uh, a restraining order that social services put into place. It was needless because I already had a restraining order um, with that the, the criminal charges, but they have a double restraining order, which doesn't prevent me to see my wife or, or my son is back now, but um, prevents me going over to the place where my wife is at. And we have another uh, hearing that's actually arraignment because what happens, the social worker had tried to um, say that um, I was in the apartment, which I never was, and uh, it's her word against my word, but my son and wife were there, and they never said I was there, and they measured the distance where the social worker talked to me. It's outside the distance, but this is arraignment to plead guilty or not guilty, and the last time I did that, uh, two and a half years ago, when I pleaded uh, uh, not guilty, they put a bond on you and lock you up, and I don't want to be locked up or put a bond on or anything else like that, so uh, I don't know how that arraignment is going to go, so my my two questions are, is a hearing for my child coming up on the 12th, and, the, and then the arraignment that they plead guilty or not guilty that comes up on the um, on the, uh, 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 the following couple days later, that I believe it's nineteenth. Okay, so let me tell you this: the criminal case where you're going for the arraignment, um, you, based on what you told me, you probably want to plead no contest. Excuse me, probably want to plead not guilty. And you probably want to get the discovery from the DA, review that, and find out what evidence they have or have or they don't have against you. Assuming that they don't have the evidence to convict you of something, you should probably force them to take the case to trial. If the case as is, as you have told me, um, they probably won't take the case to trial because they won't have the evidence. The social worker will only have very weak circumstantial evidence that you broke the restraining order. And from what you tell me, the, um, the witnesses, uh, the mother, your wife, and the child who live in this separate home would be testifying on your behalf. So it doesn't sound yes. like they have a very strong case against you. Now going to the juvenile case, you said you had one of the you said you said you had one of the children back, and as long as you have one of the children back in the home, uh, that goes a long way to getting the other child back in the home. So, one of the important things that you want to make sure at your next juvenile hearing coming up is that the son who is in still in foster care. Um, comes to court and testifies to the judge. We're getting a lot of background noise from you. Maybe you can put it on I'm mute. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is this is this better? So maybe. Yes. Is this better? So okay. maybe. You, yes, it is. So you want to make sure that your son, well, in this case, both of your sons are in court to testify, um, so that they can explain to the judge their feelings and what really happened or did not happen. And then the judge can make a decision based on his or her um, beliefs about credibility and they can uh, get the child or you can move to get the child back in your care. Okay, okay. so this hearing is coming up, we're just going to be just, yeah. So that's the most important thing. Make sure that um, you have the child there. Now, you mentioned service providers that were, you know, backing up on you, so to speak. Um, you need to talk with your attorney and to make sure that this service provider um, should or should not be placed on the witness stand. Because if you bring a service provider that backs up on you, and tell, that service provider may tell the judge information that will totally destroy your case or torpedo the case. So you want to very, be very careful about service providers before you put them on the witness stand. Um, that could be a landmine for you. Yeah, I, I want to thank you. I'm, I'm aware of that. Okay. All right. Thank you. As long Vincent. as you're aware of that. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, sir. Interesting call. Um, I can only give my opinion on calls where I have information, and I, you know, I only give the opinion based upon the information as presented to me. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, there's other information that's not communicated, uh, and that's why. If you ever meet with an attorney, any attorney, uh, that is not familiar with your case, you should always have a copy of your file. And despite the earlier caller who was having problems getting a copy of her file, you should always go to the clerk's office with your ID and demand a copy of your file so that you should have it with you at all times. Now, there's something that I want to tell you um, that's not being done in most counties and I practice in a lot of different counties um, in Southern California and I have cases in uh, Northern California as well but the law in California is that every time you appear at a juvenile dependency hearing as a parent you are supposed to be mailed a copy of the minute order and you know 20 years ago, this was done in Los Angeles. It's not done anymore, and it's not done in Orange County, and it's not done in San Bernardino County, and it's not done in Riverside County. And the interesting thing is I've talked to the clerks in all of those counties, and they each have a slightly different reasons for not doing it. But the law is very clear about it. And uh, I think, in my humble opinion, I think it's just that the courts don't have the money or the budget to spend on complying with the law. Um, because when you, out a, when you mail out a minute order to thousands of people, what you have to do is you have to buy paper, you have to buy ink to print it on, you have to buy envelopes, 
you have to have someone address the envelopes, uh, which is a task in itself. You have somebody to stuff the minute order in the envelopes, which is a huge task. And then you got to pay for postage, and then you got to go have someone take it to the post office or have the post office pick them up. I remember the, in the old days in Los Angeles, um, I would get, when I was doing court-appointed work many, many, many years ago, uh, I and my partner, attorney Stephanie Davis, we would get so many minute orders that we would have to hire someone to come in just to open the envelopes and put the, put the minute orders in the right file. I mean, it was quite a task. But at least <coughs> you'd have the minute order. You didn't have to go to court and ask for it. The other thing I want to let you know is, is that the social worker is supposed to mail the reports to you um, so many days before the court hearing. And depending on what type of hearing, you're supposed to get it five to ten days before the court hearing. When is that ever done? maybe a half a percent of the cases. So 99.5% of the cases, it's just never done. And it's never done in any counties. As a matter of fact, most counties that I go to, including Los Angeles and Orange and San Bernardino and Riverside and San Diego, they actually, San Diego tries to be a little bit better, but not on all cases. They expect you to get the copy of the report the day you show up at court. In some counties and in some courtrooms, they only give you one copy. Some counties give you, like Orange County gives you a copy for the attorney and a copy for your client, the parent. A lot of counties don't even do that. And then, to make matters worse, the judge or the hearing officer, the judicial officer, is going to expect you to be prepared to move forward on the day that you receive the report. And sometimes when you're not prepared to move forward, um, you and your attorney are going to get flack from the judge. And the way this system has developed and is being run, I think it's very unfair. Very unfair for parents. Um, the social workers seem to always have the minute orders and the reports. Uh, I don't know why the parents can't have the same. I don't know if it's to, you know, to if it's a money thing or if it's something to give the tactical advantage to the social worker and their attorney. Um, you know, I just don't know, but I do know that it's unfair. And um, someone approached me about bringing some type of class action suit against one county clerk, court clerk, uh, the office, to make them mail out the minute orders, which are required by law, and another lawsuit to make the social workers comply with the law. Um, I've been considering that, and if anybody has had that problem and might be interested in bringing a lawsuit to force the county clerk and the social workers to comply with the most basic laws of the case, Contact me, call 888-6582. Leave your name and your number. Okay, I'm kind of lost on the call board, so if I pick you again by mistake, duplicate, just let me know. I'm taking the next call from area code 661 ending in 00.
Good morning. Hello. We're on with Attorney Davis. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Did you no, I have a story. For... Oh. Go for it. A story. Um, in August of 2007, a very, very close friend of mine passed away. She had three of her grandchildren that she had adopted. And most people give you money, jewelry, real estate. And she gave me two teenage boys. We didn't do anything legally. We didn't get guardianship. I didn't uh, receive anything other than uh, um, uh, a kinship type of a, a situation. Anyway, um, the children were both born with Becker syndrome, muscular dystrophy. They had ADHD, ODD. One was exhibiting multiple personality disorder. Um, I kept them both. Their ages were uh, 15 and 16 at the time. Um, the 15-year-old with the multiple personality disorder required a little bit better care than I was able to provide. So he went to go live with a, another family member, and I uh, retained his 16-year-old brother. No problems with him until he met a 15-year-old high school sweetheart. He started getting into trouble, vandalism and drug use and, and petty thefts and crime. I went to jail a couple of times. Eventually, he turned uh, 18, um, had made some allegations against me because I was I grounded him for his uh, problems in school and problems, uh, um, personality disorders and what have you. So he made some allegations that... He later recanted, made the allegations again. They opened up a, a CPS file. Um, the police uh, special victims unit investigated me. Um, it came back inconclusive, and he came back to my home. Um, <clears throat> fast forward two years. He married the high school sweetheart, and they had a baby boy in 2009. Um, first year was fine. Um, I tried to stay around the child as much as possible to make sure he was getting what he needed. Um, I went a little overboard and started paying their bills as well, not knowing at the time that they were using a lot of drugs and, and committing other crimes. Um, long story short, fast forward two more years, the child's two and a half years old. Um, mother called me in a panic. Um, she was using heroin and one morning, um, her son got out of the house and was wandering the desert being chased by coyotes. Opened up the CPS case. Uh, they were going to detain the child. She called me. She wanted to come live with me. She did. Uh, the CPS investigator out of Kern County told me that if the child returns back to their home in, in, I think they were living in Rosamond at the time, then more or less he would be detained. Um, she, uh, the mother ended up disappearing for two months. I kept in contact with the CPS investigator and she told me that the best bet was for me to obtain legal guardianship. In December, I petitioned the court for legal guardianship of 2012 and it was awarded to me in 2013, May of 2013. In 2014, the father got out of jail, petitioned the court to terminate the guardianship and it was denied. Um, none of the previous allegations ever came up. Uh, fast forward to 2015, uh, the father came over to my home to visit his son, um, which I was allowing, and was under the influence. I did not allow him to see his son. 
Um, he turned around and vandalized my car, called the police. He was on the run until 2016, uh, was arrested, uh, taken to jail, um, got in with family members who um, protected him. And again, those same allegations from 2008 came up. I uh, had a visit from him saying, well, I'm going to get my son back after all. I filed charges against you. But if you drop the charges against me, then perhaps we can work this out. And I, I just basically told him to get out of my house. About a day later, I received a visit from a emergency response worker um, who told me that she had was in the process of filing a case against me. Um, and it was for the allegations the father had made and that the Department of Children and Family Services had a concern that because I allegedly mistreated the father that I could possibly mistreat the son. Um, two months went by, never heard anything back from emergency response. You think during that time period that you can do this yourself and that you don't need legal counsel. I was wrong. And always, always, always contact an attorney when that happens because what happened to me later could have been avoided. Um, but my child was in school. He's now, he was seven years old at that time and they removed him and detained him from school. I was lucky to have him placed with a classmate of his. Um, they wanted to give him to his paternal aunt, who at the time was uh, 18, but she had a criminal case against her for child sexual, sexual abuse of a 10-year-old boy. Um, when she got off probation in January of 2017, uh, in the middle of the night, they moved him from the classmate's home into her home, um, where he remained um, until such time as I hired your firm um, to assist me in getting him back. During the time period of January till August, I went through nine months of hell. I, I'm, I'm the DCFS worker. Um, would mess with my visits, my telephone calls, would try to force me to sign documents, threatened me that I would never see him again. Um, it was the most horrendous period I've ever been through. I think I drove your office crazy because every time I had a visit, something would happen. She would show up even if it was monitored and she would say, I can't do this. I can't do that. I couldn't hold him. I couldn't um, talk to him without somebody listening. Um, he was told by his caregivers what to say to me and what not to say to me. I would call him uh, three times a week and I would say, how was your day? And he would say, I don't remember, or I can't talk about it. Um, later found out that he was told exactly what I thought it was that his uncle did not love him, didn't care for him, and that he was probably never going to see me again. Um, and horrible, 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 horrible treatment by DCFS. And they didn't care. It was like they're their own government and that you have no rights. And, and even though you know you do, there's no way you can exercise them. Um, very lucky to have had Vince Davis as my attorney. And uh, we were... We had three attorneys against us. Uh, we had 
the county council was represented DCFS. We had minors council who I could never understand. She was so silent in the courtroom and the father had counsel and they were all beaten up on me. And I, I was very, very extremely lucky and to have an attorney such as this gentleman moderating the show uh, who was able to get the point across to the judge that, uh, these charges, these allegations uh, were not credible. And sure enough, at the end, the judge spent 20 minutes in the courtroom and said that went through the entire case and basically stated that the father's allegations were not credible based on the proceedings in the guardianship court. And that very surprised because I think you had told me that uh, there would be a delay in, in getting my kid back, even if we won the case. But at that point, I think it was a fourth to wit, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. And I was able to pick up my child that night and I was in tears um, the entire way to go get him. And it didn't stop then. Um, even when I picked him up, I was receiving text messages from the social worker telling me, well, let's make this a nice transfer. Um, you don't need to get nasty. And then I think for a period of two weeks after that, calling me and asking me, did I want to keep the case open? Did I need services? Um, I'll have to meet with the child. We'll work out a visitation plan with the father. And thankfully, again, I was advised, no, they have no jurisdiction in this case. Um, since then, I have moved from L.A. County. I'm just, it's tremendous. The child is in counseling for post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm going through counseling as well, to, so I know how to take care of him in, in that situation. And, you know, I think we have a very big case um, to go after DCFS and the social workers, uh, County of Los Angeles, in, in a federal court. Um, it's a horrible what this happened what people don't understand what it does to the child uh, adults we we learn to take care of ourselves but the child is not afforded that opportunity and that's something that would be a great fodder for one of your radio programs is what this does to the child because uh, every case is different and unique but uh god bless you vince davis and thank you thank you very much for sharing that story Um, I do want to add a little bit more to the story that we just heard. The trial that we had took over, it was spanned over several months. And at one point, at more than one point, um, this gentleman wanted to give up uh, because the harassment by the social workers is so extensive and at some point you know it went back and forth I thought I was winning the trial I thought I was losing the trial I thought I was winning the trial I thought I was losing the trial but I told this gentleman never give up never give up on yourself and never give up on the child and he didn't to courage we'll see you next week on the radio thank you